Welcome back to A People's Guide to Publishing. I'm Joe Beal, the founder and CEO of Microcosm Publishing and Distribution. I'm also the author of A People's Guide to Publishing, which distills what I've learned from selling millions of books over the past 25 years. I'm Ellie Blue. I'm the Editorial and Marketing Director here at Microcosm. We are an independent midlist publisher based in Portland, Oregon. We have 14 employees, over 650 titles in print with 20 to 40 new books per year, and we distribute thousands of titles from other publishers. We started this podcast so that we can share what we've learned with newer publishers so that you can learn from our mistakes. Or maybe you just want to understand the publishing industry. Uh, today, our guest is Anne Halliday, who, among her many wonderful credentials of being a creative and vivacious person in the world, um, has written a book. Several. Her eighth book, I believe. 40th. Depending on how you count. Um which just came out through Microcosm. It's called Creative Not Famous, The Small Potato Manifesto. And we have Anne on today to talk about the making of that book and kind of small potato dim in general. Hi, Anne. Hi. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Joe. Hello. How did you become a small potato? Give us the, the one-minute version. The one-minute version is I went to theater school and got uh, cast in a show that was a long-running late-night show that was so satisfying that it sort of uh, clobbered me for doing any other show. And that became my identity. And then I had a kid. So I've never really vigorously pursued what I was trained to do in the traditional channels. Which is a pretty common story, it seems. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's it's like the punk rock version of being not punk rock, I guess. Well, like punk rock for theater kids. You have a plan. You pursue your plan, and then something goes awry, and then, especially in like the creative arts or whatever, whatever blanket you want to put on it, it things you know it's very hard to make a living, and then it seems like there's like two roads where you either get tremendously disillusioned, or you figure out that like you can have a nice little, you know, quiet existence. Yeah, I think also for me, um, I had a taste of doing something that was kind of personality driven with the show too much light makes the baby go blind. And I really liked just being me and not having to sand down any edges. And, you know, certainly the equivalent of that for a performer would be um, right after college, I was living with this guy who got a lot of auditions and his agent was constantly calling and I'd be the person who picked up the phone. And she's like, you know, we could probably get you young mommy auditions if you'd shave your legs and lose 20 pounds and cut your hair into a bubble haircut. But I don't think you want to do that, do you? And I, at the time, took that as like, yeah, that's right. I don't want to do that. Like 30 years later, somebody said, that was terrible advice. She shut you down. And I'm like, well, I don't I mean, you know, that's just how it went. But I was shocked at 22 that young mommy auditions were what I was going to be slotted into. Right. That at 22, you were already being typecast that way. Yeah. So so your book, Creative Not Famous, is full of stories like this from people who like are super creative and um, went their own way instead of trying to like fit themselves into a celebrity mold. Is that how you would, how would you describe? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, there's an element of like maybe between the ages of 18 and 30, you can be 
striving really hard and everybody's running as fast as they can towards making the kind of art they hope to make or are already making and want to make more of it and they want attention for it. And then like it, you just pass this sort of uh, invisible guidepost at which it's like pouring your efforts into becoming the next big thing, it's diminishing returns. And I think, especially with social media, I think a lot of people, you know, you see somebody else having something that you used to want and you haven't taken stock of saying, wait, do I still want that? If I can put that want over to the side or just bury it in the backyard, I've got space to really enjoy what I do and my community and other people who are doing what I do and we can lift each other up because a lot of other people aren't interested. You know? Right. And it, you know, the thing that really surprised and didn't surprise me is that like the book resonates with like anybody that does anything. And I mean that like near literally, you know, oh, I, I don't even, I mean, it was a mixed martial artist. Oh no, it was shout out to Paul in the warehouse oh, yeah, yeah, who yeah. watches videos of mixed martial artists on YouTube and was like, all the things are so boring. The like interesting ones are the like creative ones. And I was like, oh wow. That's like, yeah. you know, this book. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. It's I mean there are you know, I think there are many ways of being creative, not necessarily in the arts, but you know, if you are somebody who enjoys cooking, that can also be a way of being extremely creative. Mm -hmm. Running your small business, how you promote your small business that has nothing to do with the arts. So, mm -hmm. so speaking of business, this is a podcast for publishers. So I feel like we have kind of two missions here with this interview. One mm -hmm. is to speak to the publishers out there. You know, you don't have to build the next random house. Etc. How do you be a small potato publisher? And also to talk about the making of your book, which I feel like as a super interesting process. So what advice would you give to publishers? Because, you know, and I feel like this is an interesting, notable part of your story, too, is like you started out with Steel Press when they were like a mighty independent, like feisty little house. Right. And then they became corporatized, more corporatized, and now most corporatized, you know? And so, and you still have, you know, you still have a book with them. You have, you know, and you have quite a, but you came to us with this book, which tells me a few things, but it's also like, so you've probably seen, and you've worked with lots of publishers too. So what kind yes. of advice based on your experience and what you've seen, would you give to publishers, you know? Uh, okay. Um, well, I think, one thing that I've really enjoyed about working with you is um, a feeling of having access to actual humans and some continuity and some interest in what I'm doing or understanding why I'm asking a question. And sometimes it can be like, look, we don't have a lot of time to answer this, but you know, it's okay, we hear you, we have this, or here's this link, you know, you can read this and then come back to us if you still have questions, but sometimes it's a really nitty gritty answer. Um, the bigger publishers that I've worked with don't do that for you. Or even like Seal Press, I had some excellent experiences there, but I also had experiences of like, here's this young woman who started working here. She's going to be here for nine months and then she's out looking to work with something bigger. So I think, you know, 
if as a publisher, you can con um, cultivate something that feels like an actual human relationship with your authors, <laughs> that's going to serve you well. It gets a lot of goodwill and it'll probably get the authors to do what you want them to do as well. Right. Like, and I, you know, I explain it just about every single day where I'm like, when you make this into an adversarial relationship, like everybody loses. When you make it into a cooperative relationship, like everybody wins. Yeah, I think you know? so. And I think a lot of transparency too. I mean, you know, it's good as uh, I think particularly a beginning author, but even, you know, further down the road to know what the deal is. Like, what's the deal? How are you going to promote my book? Are you going to promote my book? Are you going to promote it in a specific way? In which case, you what are how what are your support efforts going to be if I wade in and try to promote it in other places? That's super helpful for me, I think. Um, yeah, I guess I mean, it's been a while since I was a first time author, but I think all publishers would do well to just kindly educate a first-time author of here's what you can expect, here's what is not going to happen, and no harm, no foul in hoping or believing that that's what happened. But most authors think, hey, I got a book out, and now it's smooth sailing. I don't have to do anything but write another book, and that's not true. So, you know, I think right. early education with first-time authors would be extremely helpful to everyone involved. That's excellent advice. Yeah. And you're also a publisher yourself. You've been publishing your zine. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I have been publishing a zine called The East Village Inky since 1998. It started out as a project just to um, give myself a creative outlet that would reach strangers in the way doing off-off-Broadway theater had previously been, but now I had a one-year-old baby and a huge loss of identity and personal respect as an artist. So I'd always wanted to make a zine and um, had never quite found a sustaining subject. And in the beginning, the sustaining subject was the baby and New York City and how those fit together. Um, and it's evolved. I mean, the baby is now 24 years old and might come busting through the door any minute now. Uh, the zine has looked the same the whole way. So it's like, wow, oh, I go to zine fairs and sometimes I see like, here's some younger zine makers and they have this shiny, sexy product or it's, you know, risograph or like, whoa, it looks so good. Shit, it costs $15. What? Mine costs $3 and looks like the second grade class made it. <laughs> It's got a lot of words. It's, you know, you get a lot of bang for your buck in this little package in terms of reading. But so anyway, so yeah, I've been, you know, publishing that myself, which means taking it to the same print shop who always are like, oh, here she comes again. <laughs> She's not a legal brief. <laughs> which one? Uh, what number? Uh, I'm number 66 is on the drawing board. Wow. Yeah. I know. I, I mean, I remember, you know, issue. I mean, I think we have issues in our system for they're in the 20s still, you know. Whoa. Yeah. Well, people should yeah. rush right out and grab those collections. copies of them, but they exist in our. We have, we have like the metadata, the out of print yeah. metadata. Yeah. <laughs> you know? still in the machine. I understand. <laughs> and, you know, you've been that consistent for that long, too, you know. And so this is the other thing that I run into, you know, I mean, when we, you know, 
microcosm in its infancy, we would publish people more or less exclusively that came from that world. And then so they already knew the basics of editing and design and production and, you know, like self editing even. And, you know, so and nowadays, most of the people we publish, like, you know, our first time authors have never been have never self published have never been published before. And, you know, so it's like an interesting thing, because then you don't have like sort of that built in knowledge of, you know, how pagination works and things like that, even. Right. But so why did you come from the way actually, yeah, or well, you were publishing books before you even published this scene, right? Or no? um, let me see. No. So I started publishing the zine. And right before I started publishing the zine, I did <laughs> I did a puppet show for adults about my daughter's birth and spending two weeks in the neonatal intensive care unit, which was a thing I didn't even know existed until I had this baby that just went downhill the second she came out. And then she started to improve for mysterious reasons. And I was just parked there looking around this incredible world that few people get to penetrate, which was probably a good thing. Um, so I did a puppet show about it with two good friends of mine. And it was like we had this nine-month-old baby that we were juggling during rehearsals. And all the babies were played by root vegetables, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, at the same time, um, I had discovered and was participating in uh, what were probably very new web boards or listserv or whatever you want to call it for hip mama zine and um ariel gore who's become a wonderful friend and peer uh said well you know maybe we could excerpt some of this puppet show it's basically just like stories and monologues right so they they published some of that and then they published breeder which was an anthology of writing from um from hip mama so neonatal sweet potato was in that too and then one day i don't know why i must have just been feeling my oats i was like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna get in touch with ariel and see if maybe she'd put in a word for me with this publisher seal press and i'll tell you if it had been two years earlier i don't think it would have worked because i would have had to make a long distance phone call and that cost money and ariel is in her way shy and i don't think she would have wanted to talk to a stranger and then say or, or virtual for a stranger and then say oh just you know hold the line for a second or i'll call you back i have to go get my paper address book and look this up and then tell you what it is but i could just send an email and she could go mm -hmm, here's the person here's the address and that worked out great and then i wrote them and they were like oh yeah we, we know what your zine is and so I, I feel like I've almost always I've tumbled through the back door with getting any project that I'm proud of into the hands of readers or audience members. When I try to go the traditional route, it's uh, it winds up a resentment laden prospect. Mm. But it seems like, I mean, you're not trying to like go through the back door by like breaking the rules. It's more like you're doing your own thing and that's, yeah, I often feel like you know, a child. You were working on, working on each other rather than just... Yeah, 
Right. I think, you know, sometimes I'm like, wow, I should have gone to business school or journalism school or something because I don't really know how to do any of the stuff I do. I'm just like, well, let me see if I can do this in 40 hours, which other people do in two because they know what they're doing. But it's fun. I mean, I think that's why my stuff is as quirky as it is or carved out a specific niche with like a spoon and a popsicle stick and a blindfold. You know, I love that story because you were a tricked into becoming a published writer. Like you yes. were a playwright that <laughs> you were into a published writer. Then also that, you know, you were, you know, using your network and there's a great small potato series of jokes in there that, you know, you're doing this like relatively niche, obscure thing, literally about potatoes. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, and, that's right. You know, it was about like, potatoes. <laughs> but it, so it's just like fundamentally like who you are on every level. And then you're being accepted for that. Whereas like if you had sanded off your rough edges, like would you have ever been published? Yeah, I think about that a lot, too. And, you know, my only real regrets, I think, are the times that I have um, agreed to sand off some of the edges or let my language be so diluted that it's like I it took so long. Any money that I earned from it was not worth sacrificing what makes me proud of myself as a writer or a performer or anything like that. Yeah. If people want to be like, you know, the next, I don't know, like Olivia, whatever, at the Grammys, you know, that's a talented person, but that's also, you're going to, you're going to have to work really hard to package yourself in that way and make yourself palatable to the gatekeepers you know, I think a lot, I think the experience of a lot of people, even if they've had some pretty high profile successes or successes, something that attracted the attention where somebody might say, oh, yeah, we've heard of you, we'll open the door. It, it can be hard the next time you try to knock on the door. It's just the people have changed or the tastes have changed or you failed to deliver something that was expected and you didn't even know it was expected. It's all I mean, a bunch I mean, of bullshit, really. <laughs> even like for a relatively successful creative person you know it's still like you're cutting scraps in half you know like there's still not money in it so like success is defined by like such a weird modicum of you know what people would consider a living you know yes. and I, and so, I mean i guess that's like a, yet another reason to like not compromise in ways that you're uncomfortable with I think so. And I think it's, um, you know, I've been on earth long enough now that I think I've had time to build up some reserves that if I can, you know, a lot of well-meaning people will say things like, you know, so how many subscribers does your zine have or how many copies of, did, of your book have sold? It's the equivalent of saying to a parent, what's your child's SAT scores? You know, it's yes. first of all, none of your business. But second of all, if they aren't, my child's SAT scores are 10,000. Like, it's so traumatic to me that I immediately forget even what the numbers are possible. But it's like those kinds of questions, even if you don't buy into them, can instantly make you feel bad about yourself. A crummy review from 
a sector that doesn't even matter, you know, can, can make you feel awful for a day, a week. So you need those reserves and you need that community behind you. Actually, one of my favorite parts of the book is where the contributors say what they do to pull themselves up when they're down in the dumps. And one contributor, Mari Naomi, was like, well, I have a folder of things that are like emails that she's printed out of like her mom saying how proud she is of her about a specific project and stuff. I'm like, that's great. You know, if you get a nice email from somebody who has taken the time to share their appreciation of your work, like those things are rubies, store them up, you know, have a little side room in your cave that you keep all your rubies and diamonds in and you can go in there when you need that boost and remember that you're rich <laughs> so can we talk more about your book and i feel like um some people have asked about the process of making your book because it's so unique it has like cute little drawings and it's very textually rich and has tons of like contributors like what yeah can you just like walk us through from start to finish yeah, so it was a cumulative process, and thank both of you and Lex and other people at Microcosm for being very patient with all the moving parts of this thing. Um, originally, I just conceived of it as me writing a thing and um, that it would be best practices of if you are a small potato in the arts, how do you build community, how do you do your art, how do you find motivation, what do you do when you want to quit? What do you do when you should quit and do something else? Um, and then I just realized, well, I can't really speak for everybody. And there are lots of art forms that I don't practice at all. Like I know lots of musicians and I've done some things that are similar to what musicians do when they're out on tour, but it, you know, I, better that they speak authentically for themselves. So I made this questionnaire and invited people to fill out the questionnaire. And then I kept thinking of more people that could contribute. And then, of course, there were also a lot of people that I was like, oh, I really want this person's perspective because I know it's going to be unique or it's going to speak to a certain sector of the readers. Sometimes those fish just swim too far ahead of you or they get out of a hole in the net or, you know, somebody catches them and they're not in the ocean anymore. Um, but so people, you know, we got who we got and they're all great and often giving conflicting advice or being a little resistant. There were a few who were like resisting the label of being called a small potato. And when I reached out, I was like, if I am mistaken, if you are actually so big that you block out the sun and that's the reason that I can't see what you are, <laughs> like, please forgive me. I mean, no offense. So some people were like, yeah, I'll fill out your questionnaire, but I'm not a small potato and here's why. <laughs> but they still filled it out. And then I felt like, oh gosh, well, got to figure out a way to include them. Sometimes I feel like a really big shot mostly not but <laughs> so there's room for that you know there's room for moments of thinking you're the greatest thing ever um and then I just like had this organizational nightmare of moving all this data and information around not my strong suit staying organized not my strong suit and then this pandemic clobbered everybody um I had thoughts of like I'm going to go to this little town outside of Mexico City that I had fallen in love with 
any excuse to get back to Te Postlan, you know, and I was like, I'm going to go write that book there. I'm going to spend every day in April just, and then instead I was sitting on a rock in Central Park and about to email you to say, I know the book's due in two days, it's half done. So and I, with the illustrations, I would just get an idea in my head of like, well, this would be funny or this would, this would embody, um, what we're saying in this particular chapter a big problem with me that is definitely been cultivated in the zine is a lot of times i'll use an illustration as a punchline. so i would write a sentence and then in my mind the illustration would be right under it perfectly positioned and um, <laughs> getting like early drafts of the layout back i'd be like this illustration is five pages away from where it should be so this is what speaks to your point joe of like you know i know how to lay out the east village jinky i don't know how to lay out a book and i really needed to be educated like what does verso mean i don't understand so um, in the soon to be published guided journal and idea generator and creative assignment book that is a companion to this book um i've been taking a different approach which is sort of like let's just get the words out get it laid out and then I am at your service to make any illustration on any page that has extra space. Brilliant. Thank That's you. Exactly the right way. Love <laughs> it. And this is, I mean, if I could train people to do that that way, they, they would save so much time. We would save so much exposition. It's well, it might be a case of learn from your mistakes, you know, that that's, so I did. Um, although I have to say it was pleasant. Like, I mean, on your end, everybody I worked with was, and I kept thinking, oh, these poor, you know, art people who are having to deal with this or, you know, the editor who has to deal with this thing again and again. Everybody was nice. Everybody was patient. And that, you know, made me work harder. Ooh. I'm motivated. Yeah. take note. You yeah, also we like yummies. People like yummies. Don't give them a bummer. <laughs> Don't make them feel like they're getting a newspaper swatted on their nose. Right. Yeah, we definitely like, I mean, your book was going to be complicated to lay out no matter what, you know, like yeah. it was kind of like a cookbook, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But like less, uh, less structured. Like there's just some kinds of books that are or like, you know, your last book with us, a travel book is very similar situation yeah. with lots of little illustrations. Wait, you are the complicated I am. I, I'm very complex. I contain multitudes and also a bunch of contributors besides myself who each time they say something, their name has to go beside it. When we were doing your New York book, we had a freelance uh, person to do the design and the layout. And he literally, as I sent him the files, he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I just got a teaching job. I don't have time for this anymore. Oh. And it and it was, you know, and then it was like, I spent the next two weeks doing it myself. And like, I, you know, I knew how to do it, but I did not have that time budgeted in my life. Yeah. You know? And so we were in Baltimore for a fun thing. So allegedly, and then I <laughs> had time in the apartment instead. You know? I just remember, yeah, that was um, the Zinester's Guide to New York was the first uh, book I edited for Microcosm and I did it after you would put it in the layout. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember Joe put it all in the layout and was like, Ellie, can you make this one third shorter? Oh, right. <laughs> I can't Sorry, Ann, you might not know this. Were. What? 
am I given to understand that there's a third of that book? <laughs> that might be the third of the places in New York that are still open. You know, I'm like, it's the curse of the Zinesburg's Guide to NYC. It's like, I don't, I don't think we took out very many listings, but like, it was definitely a lot of like, I, I took out a lot of it in like adjectives. So I'm sorry. Some of your references were standard down. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I talk a lot in words <laughs> and mouth. <laughs> so a lot of, you know, I feel like, and maybe this is like pandemic grouchiness, but a lot a lot of authors missed deadlines in the past two years. This is not going to be a news to any publisher. But the other thing of it is like authors were just real cranky. Mm. And so every conversation I would have about your book is like somebody in editorial or production would come to me and be like, is it going to bother Anne if I do this? Or is it going to bother Anne if, you know, I ask for this? And you're like, well, that's kind of the roles. That's kind of how, you know, like you have to act and request, you know? Yeah. There's no other rules about it. But I, you know, but so your consideration begot you consideration, which I feel like is Thank a you. lesson all around. I think we talk about that in the book too, about, you know, my feeling is, and I think about this all the time, like as certain celebrities are being called out for various misdeeds and how they respond to that. It's like, there's no guarantee. I mean, you can make art your whole life long. There is no guarantee that people will consume it or that you will be noted for it if you have achieved a certain level of renown there is no guarantee that you will hang on to that or that you deserve whatever that means to hang on to it so it's like it it, it makes absolute sense and also it's a way to be a good human and try to be a good human to be aware at every step of what people are doing for you how they're helping you and to express gratitude whether it's somebody who appreciates your work or somebody who's helping you make your work or a volunteer who's helping you to achieve your great vision or somebody kicking into the kickstarter all of those people need to be thanked and when you thank them it can't just be let me just cut and paste that i mean you can cut and paste but when you do it you need to have in your head a feeling of I'm lucky, I'm thankful, uh, you know, I'm gonna, this is the reason to continue doing this actually, is to connect with other humans and to feel that love. And and the, the thing, I can't remember how it was phrased in the book, but there was somebody put it as like, people may not remember your work, but they will definitely remember it if they had an unpleasant encounter with you. For sure, and yeah. That, and I was like, that is probably like the most precious advice because so many young creatives are like, you know, they built up this moment. They're like, it's their big night. And then it like doesn't go as they planned. And then they're like cranky to somebody in the back alley. And that person is like, that person was so rude, you know? Absolutely. I mean, you know, they talk on film sets about like, you know, go talk to the makeup people or go talk to the, the assistant wardrobe person. They can tell you who's not to be overly gendered in the language, but they'll tell you who's a dick. You know? right, right. And so, I mean, and, you know, like I feel like the weight of the advice in the book is really for everybody, you know? Like, yeah, hopefully. I mean, you know, your lessons in how to be cre a 
creative person, like how to conduct yourself in the world as a creative person. That hopefully is also how to just conduct yourself as a human and how to enjoy life as a human. Right. And then there's um, there's a conference here called XOXO where it's like people that work in tech who like see themselves as aspirational creative people. Uh. And that like, you know, which is like kind of a foreign concept to me because I'm just like, well, if this is what you wanted, you know, because I've never done anything but exactly what I wanted to do, you know, <laughs> like employment history be damned, you know, but, you know, it's like that helped me to really see like, oh, okay, like everybody has aspirations, even people that are in like well-moneyed sectors would kind of rather yeah. do what we do or like maybe have a hobby thing or, you know, and that was kind of the other thing where I was like, this book is kind of for everybody. You know? Yeah, I hope so. I, when I was in massage school and I was a lot younger I think I was maybe 26 or something 27 and it was kind of the first time I had spent time as a peer with people who were older than I was and a lot of them were like a flight attendant or somebody who'd been in the business sector and suddenly they were going to massage school and well, there was every reason for me to go to massage school because it wasn't waiting tables or answering phones it was an actual profession but um uh like it's like whoa amy was a flight attendant for all these years you know this person has kids and they are going to change their life to do something that they feel like it, this will be a better use of my time a more fulfilling use of my time you know you know they talk about you know what are you going to regret on your deathbed and it's probably not going to be pursuing a creative thing that you really, really wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, and even if it's a hobby, even if you have no aspirations of it being a, like a self-supporting thing, you know, I feel like that is almost the most valuable because like, that's a part of you. Yeah, absolutely. And there are opportunities these days that didn't exist 20 years ago to get your work seen or to find others who like it. I think that's a little bit, um, it's a little bit of a trap too because yeah. you start comparing yourself like how many likes do you have how many and I think it's important to also remember like well you know what are the forums you know who picked it up who didn't like I have one person who likes what I say on Twitter that's it but there are other forums <laughs> bless him bless him um show you or show me your tweets on twitter you know which is like the whole other problem it's yeah. like it'll be like mainstream media yeah <laughs> and i could spend all this time figuring out like well what what if i i do this if i just like you know spin the straw and the gold a little bit harder every night maybe i'll get picked up by some algorithm and that's madness i mean in addition to cutting into valuable creative time or just time to spend time with your friends or go to see that museum exhibit you want to see it also just gets you your head turns into a rabid starving gerbil on a wheel you know <laughs> it's like wearing its little paws down to nothing and getting nowhere so i think moderation in how you use social media to bring awareness to your work but you know somebody's gonna see it and like it even if it's two people Right. And we we were just at AWP, the Association of Writers and Writing Programs, and, you know, which was where we debuted your book for the first time. And and it was really interesting because a lot of people would pick it up. I mean, my first encounter 
partner with it was a father who picked it up as like a potential gift for a child who was, I believe, 12. No! And, and then immediately put it back down. <laughs> That's like porn. Put it down. <laughs> you know, maybe when she's older. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, but it was interesting because it, it feels like its other dual purpose is it like inseminates the idea that you don't need to aim for fame you know that and you know and that that's a very new concept to that audience who is like thinks that you kind of have one chance and you have to get four degrees before you take that chance so you're like good enough yeah or ready or what you know and so you know i think like you make a pretty strong case for amateurism too you know like yeah. both through the fact that you like do new things all the time and the fact that you're like, okay, like I don't need to be trained to do this. I just need to like create something that has like a quirky or I mean, I feel like quirky is a word that has been misapplied to you, but like has an appeal that is genuinely an authentic you expression. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the other thing that I think in terms of youth is I think most young people who go into the arts go into it hoping and perhaps believing and having been told all through high school and before and by their parents, like, you're great. You're going to be, you're going to get into Juilliard and then you're going to be dancing with the ABT or, so, you know, and for most people, that's not going to happen. And you don't want to poo-poo anyone's dreams um, when they're that young. But, you know, when I was in college and theater school, like, you know, I was not, it was not lost on me that certain people were always getting the big parts in the big main stages. And there were others of us who were making our own theater because we weren't going to be getting those big parts. My daughter went to the fame high school, the big public high school in New York. That's the art school that's in fame. And, um, well, I can say the name of it, LaGuardia, the LaGuardia school for performing arts. And, um, Lots more boys than girls um, at that school. I'm sure now, like, also plenty of students identifying as non-binary. But the boys, there were so few of them. It didn't mean that they were doing more plays with all-girl casts. It w They called the boys the princes of LaGuardia. And it was like, and then there was one girl who was very talented musical theater actress. And she had the lead three years running. And I was like, I'm glad my daughter doesn't really want to be a performer because I would be majorly pissed. It's school. You know, they they should be seeking properties that give everybody an opportunity to participate at a rich level and not just be waiting for the Wells Fargo wagon to come while the... Um, while the Prince of LaGuardia is out there in his hat and the spotlight and everything. So. Right. And that's the way too, right. Like even by just the laws of the lottery and probability, like not everyone can win. Yeah. Statistically, it's the deck is stacked that you're going to be welcomed into the world of small potatoes, you know, and the big bananas can just fend for themselves with all their agents and publicity reps and massage yeah. therapists and personal chefs. <laughs> Do you ever think about what would be different if you had gotten a more suitable agent at age 22 who got what you were about? 
Um, yeah, that would have been awesome. I definitely did not do my work on my end as far as pursuing that. Um, and I have had several friends, particularly from college, who have gone on to have like kind of startlingly high profiles and sustaining that, you know, they weren't flashes in the pan. Um, and in every case, I would say that, you know, they, they're, it was deserved. They were talented. There were also hundreds of other talented friends who haven't gotten that. Um, and sometimes it was just like, you know, I could see like this person made this one little choice, like the butterfly flapped its wings in this second rather than that second. And that was the the lucky thing. I mean, it, with my husband, Greg Codis wrote this musical, You're in Town, that is was an unlikely success and rose up from the ranks of off off broadway but really in addition to his talent and the talent of uh his co-writer and the director and the original cast and the people who had the vision to say okay you can put this on in our garage it was another playwright who was higher up the ladder so that people would actually listen to him and at intermission Instead of going to the bathroom or greeting friends, he went to a payphone, deposited his coin that he had in the payphone and made a call to these producers that he knew and said, hey, there's one more performance and um, you should try to get here and see it because I think this, there might be something here for you. So if that guy, Dave Auburn, hadn't made that phone call, which would have been so easy, you know, he could have bumped into somebody he knew who he really wanted to talk to. And then boom, it's time to take your seats again, folks. And he forgot, you know, right. So it, it's a good argument for trying to help each other out too. I, I think that's a good remedy for jealousy is to train yourself. If you're feeling jealous, just flip it and help somebody else or help the person you're jealous of or compliment the person you're jealous of and actually feel it. Cause that'll come back to you. Several contributors said that like, you know, scarcity, it's a fallacy. And if I see my friends doing well, all the rising tide, all boats rise. And, you know, good things are coming for me too. Mm, yeah, that's good. That's really solid advice. I, you know, and I see the time too, where I made an infographic years ago that basically had the same sentiment where like about scarcity mentality versus, you know, abundance. And the very first response was somebody that was like, do you actually do this? And <laughs> Right, like you, it's a process, but yes. Yeah. Don't look behind like, the curtain. Yes, I do that. <laughs> like, Asshole. <laughs> your life being jealous of other people, right? It's like, it just reads really badly from the outside, you know? Whereas, yeah, that, so that's like really good. You know, and it's like from where we sit, like, you know, we see people that are younger than us being very successful and like having like, you know, big accolades. And then, you know, part of it, too, is, like, you have to know deep down that, like, even winning a big state award or something, it doesn't sell that many books, you know? It's, like, yeah, it's sure. just, like, really visible, oh, you know? Yes, absolutely. The grass is always so green, and we don't know what goes into making, you know, maybe that was just fertile soil. Those people bought a good lot, or, you know, they spend every night throwing grass seeds around. We don't know. It's, it's just 
luck and effort and, you know, other people's life circumstances. You can get tripped up by all sorts of things. You know, if you have a special needs child, if you have a aging parent with issues, if you get fired from your job because the the your restaurant owner couldn't hang on to the restaurant after losing all this business in the pandemic, you know, shit happens. So your art, you can sustain. It's one of the few things you have control over is actually making it you might not be able to make it on the grand scale you want, but you can make a little version of it. You can make a maquette of it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, something that is so exciting to me is when I see somebody celebrating like a very minor accomplishment in like, you know, in abundant public display, yeah. you know, or somebody that is like, you know, like they're telling you what it actually feels like to get the email that's like, you saved my life, literally. Like, here's what's going You know, even if that's never shared, you know, it's like, yeah. I feel like that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you get as a small potato just about every day. You know, you get some variation on like a minor success. That, Absolutely. Like, Keep doing it and that will snowball. Yes. Yeah. I think so. Well, we do need to wrap this up, even though we could talk for another hour easily. Um, do you have any final words of wisdom you'd like to share with our fellow small potatoes? Oh, <laughs> feeling like I should share a recipe or like. <laughs> 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 see my cabinet? Look at look here. Um, There's some chanterelles that were picked in Oregon by one of the small potato contributors. That's, uh, Maybe if you potato. get the book, you know, what, what is your we'll favorite send you some too. potatoes? In what did you say? Who's my favorite contributor? What's your favorite way to eat potatoes? Favorite child. <laughs> What's my favorite way to eat potatoes? Oh, uh, well, if we're just talking regular potatoes and not sweet potatoes, chop them into little pieces. Um, olive oil, some kosher salt, rosemary, mush it all together and roast them at like 450 for, I don't know, 45 minutes or something. So good. So delicious. Awesome. Well, on that note. <laughs> yeah. On that note. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Thanks to all the potatoes out there, soon to be eaten, as well as the artistic type. Yeah, I'm going to do a cookbook next. Rise <laughs> right above, embrace your inner small potato, you know, be like, live your best life. Was, you know, I feel like then it's not, takes the pressure off. Yeah, enjoy what you do. Don't, you know, it's, it's not a burden, it's a gift. Thanks for joining us once again. Please send your questions to podcast at microcosmpublishing.com so we can answer them on future episodes. And please give us five stars on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are reviewed. You can find us on the internet at microcosm.pub. On Twitter at microcosm. On Facebook at microcosm publishing. On Instagram at microcosm underscore pub. And here in Portland, Oregon on North Williams Avenue. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>